Hello and welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. And I've got Andy with me, sitting, waiting patiently as I go on and on with this intro. Andy, what's going on? <laughs> what's up, good buddy? Welcome to the show, everybody else. Another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. Two longtime friends picking out two new release records as well as two what we call old dogs from our collection. Recommending them. I want to tell the good, uh, tell the good people uh, we got on store for them today. So today we've got quite a mix of things. We've got Jeff Rosenstock's Ska Dream. More like a nightmare to me. hey <laughs> And Travis Tritt is back after 14 years with Set in Stone. He's a well-known country guy, and we're going to dig into his new album. We got a couple old dogs, too. Andy, why don't you... Uh, Bark it up and tell us what we got. We're going way back to the year 1987. Two records. One by Spaceman 3 and one by, RC you may have heard of, Prince. You'll be digging into those a little bit more in depth, so stay his, tuned. His name is Prince and he is funky. <laughs> let's do it, man. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so starting us off here. We are indeed talking about Jeff Rosenstock and his record that came out on April of 2021, Ska Dream. This is the fifth studio album from the Long Island, New York punk rocker. The album was announced on April Fool's Day and released on 420. Many people thought it was a joke when it came out, and that is because it's kind of a reimagining of a record he put out last year, uh, No Dream. Yeah, so he's he's put out some pretty well-received punk rock records over the last five or six years. But I guess at heart, he grew up kind of like in ska and always appreciated the genre, I guess, for what it was, kind of back in the late 90s there. So him and some friends were sitting around and uh, kind of reimagining these songs as, as what they would sound like if they were ska-sized, if you will. And uh, it went so well, they decided to record it and put it out. So we are going to play a cut from towards the beginning of the record this is scram i tried to see the other side by people who have never tried to see the other side don't you want to go away don't you want to go away don't you want to go away don't you want to stand don't you want to Little taste of Scram off of the album Ska Dream by Jeff Rodenstock. So, the lyrically, the record is the same as No Dream. Uh, the tracks list is the same. Uh, the only thing that's really changed is the instrumentation and the song names. Yeah, song names. Yeah, so the song names are super skazized as well. Yeah, have, yeah. How do you feel about that? The capital, capital K, lowercase R type thing, you know, it looks very like 1998. I, I used to hate that about ska music. Every band had to have ska in the name. We're right. Scott Templeton and the Temple t- Skas. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> Just be a bad, okay? Ska, 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 ska. Yeah, I guess why like, no one ever took this genre too seriously, I guess at the time. Yeah, there was this uh, satanic <laughs> ska band called Mephiscopheles. Oh, uh, yeah, you talked about that before on the show, yeah. I, I, never, I never got the suburban white kid 
ska thing. No. Now the and get and get like when I heard these songs, I'm like, oh man, and all this. I didn't know it was a like kind of a tributey thing. That's why I wish I'd known about the original because I I caught a couple of the tracks of the original version because the whole time I'm listening to this, I'm like, man, if they got rid of all that icka, 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 icka stuff, this might be okay. <laughs> I actually like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you're in luck, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I actually, this morning, I did go out of my way to listen to Scram, uh-huh. the other version uh, on the other album. Yeah. Much, much more enjoyable for, for this guy, but... Yeah, the the original record is pretty much a punk rock record. Yes. It's, it, Jeff Rosenstock has a good sense of humor, and he laces that in with a lot of these songs. So they're fun, they're catchy. There is definitely some social commentary. Like, like this, I think the original record was written in, what, 2018? And it's dealing with a lot of, like, the political unrest and stuff that was going on in the U.S. at the time. So that's still on this record here. It's been skazized a little bit and that it's a little bit more fun, a little more bouncy. I found this really enjoyable. I wasn't expecting to like this at all, but it kind of took me back to, you know, like my early 20s when this yeah. sound was like really happening. And I was, in, I was into it at the time, I'll admit. Um, and this reminded me a lot of, of what I liked about what was going on back then. So, man, if you were into that sound, I, I think this would be, I found this like, just like eating candy, man. It's like delicious. Yeah, I mean, you gotta like the sound, and I, I think I'm gonna go listen to the the original version of the album just to get a better sense of the songs. Mm-hmm. No offense to the you know ska nation. I've I've heard old stuff like Desmond Decker, like real ska from yeah, the like '60s. You the know, first Jamaican wave of ska. Yeah, yeah, and that that has some really interesting textures and stuff, but the that that mid '90s ska thing, I just never. I, I had friends that were into it and wore the suspenders and the checkered everything and would mm-hmm. skank all the time. Yep. <laughs> but those same skanking kids, a couple of like maybe a year later, were all zoot suit riots and and uh, doing swing <laughs> dancing. Yeah. So I yeah I took that whole period completely not seriously. Yeah, I don't think many people did. Maybe I missed the boat on some. Maybe they, I'm sure there were plenty of great bands in in that. But I at the I was also so entrenched in hard rock and grunge that anything yeah. that even threatened to, to take the mantle to me was the enemy at the time. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Well. You know, I think that this song is this album is just about having fun, and it's a good time record. It's not you know, trying to change your life. But it did, I guess, awaken some youthful feelings in me that I kind of had forgotten about. So I, for that, for that, I found it really valuable. And, you know, once you dig into it a little bit, like the lyrics are, are kind of interesting. He has a, talks about some, you know, random things that maybe you wouldn't expect to hear about on a, a ska record. You know, there's like the political stuff, like I mentioned. There's also a funny song, Called uh Star Ska of kind of about getting up and growing old, getting older. And there's this funny bit in there where like the guy's mom is like secretly renting out his house on Airbnb while he's on on tour with his band. And like you know he's like, oh yeah, I used your I used your soap in the shower the other day because I was living at your house. It's just really it's kind of funny sense of humor, and you can tell the band is having a lot of fun just 
you know, cranking through these songs. And they sound really good. There's the good, the horn section. And like you mentioned, the kind of rhythm section going on through the whole thing. And it goes by pretty quickly. Uh, It's about 40 minutes long. And I really, like I said, I really found a lot of uh, solace, I guess, and brought me back to to my 20s. So if you were a fan of that sound, I think, yeah, I think you would definitely enjoy this. Um, if you heard the original record too, back in 2020, this is kind of cool just to hear it reimagined. And I actually think it, I think it works really well. I'll agree that it is a, a cool concept and it annoyed me at times because I wasn't really, you know, when I read the titles of the songs, I'm like, <laughs> but as I had it actually playing, it was not unpleasant to listen to. So. <laughs> <laughs> like I was tapping, I was tapping my foot and stuff, and and it, it, you know, I did. I wasn't hating every minute of it, but I, I am interested to hear the original in its entirety and and get a better sense of the songs because I was a little distracted by the Inca Inca thing. <laughs> yeah, well, give it a, give it a listen. I'll be curious to hear what you think, man. And uh, you know, let us know your thoughts on these records, man. Especially. Uh Especially if you're a Jeff Rosenstock fan, I'd be curious to hear your perspective on this sound. And If you're an old skanker, let us know, too. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, man. So, uh, once again, that was Jeff Rosenstock. The album is Sky Dream. It came out in April of this year. Skank you very much. Um, so. <laughs> you are on fire today, my friend. Uh, yeah. Oh, crack myself up. All right. So, we're moving in a little bit different direction and going to a uh, more well-established older artist. This is Travis Tritt with his new song, Set in Stone, from the album Set in Stone. These old hands made a good life. This old me, you can call it passion, call it stubborn pride, call it what you want, but I feel it inside. Same old fire burning like it did. White hot flame, even when I was a kid, I finally come far enough to know living's in the giving where you wanna go. Morning sun, up and gone, Lord shine your light on a working man's home. I still do what I've always done. I should stay. All right, so that was Travis Tritt with Set in Stone, and uh. It's surprisingly really, really good, the whole album. Travis Tritt has been around for quite some time. I think his debut album was 1989. In the early 90s, he had some big hits. Here's a quarter called Someone Who Cares comes to mind, which I always had a soft spot for, although no one uses quarters to make calls anymore on payphones. But the sentiment of the song like connected with me, and I was, you know, I was not into country music at that time. But I saw him perform on Jay Leno, and I was like, that song's pretty cool. And he talked about how he had been an HVAC worker before that and was enjoying the fruits of becoming a a country star. And now here we are all these years later. He did a comeback album with my favorite producer, Dave Cobb. So, Andy. Oh, now it comes up. Why are we talking about this record? (laughs) No, we're talking about it because it's good. The Dave Cobb part is a bonus. What were your thoughts on this, my man? And I knew Andy's gonna hate it. Yeehaw! <laughs> oh, man, I wish I could be as positive as you were. I had a really hard time listening to this, to be honest with you. Um, 
There were a few moments. There were a few things that I could appreciate. Uh, I think a, a good part of it had to do with the production. Um, largely, I would say, I just felt like it was like out of time and place. Like it felt very 90s to me, which isn't a bad thing. But just like that 90s country style was, like, it felt very much of that period. Yeah. Which I was not a fan of. Well, that's what he's from, and that's what he's always stuck with, which I think is part of the theme of this album. And it's kind of come mm-hmm. back around, like bands like Midland, uh, even Hot Country Nights, although in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way or paying tribute to that mm-hmm. style mm-hmm. of country music. Travis Tripp was on Hot Country Nights. I don't know if you remember. Oh, he was part of the band? I no, he did. A, he, he, was, he was guest vocals on oh, one okay. of the tracks. Gotcha. But he's stuck to his guns, and all the songs in this album, many of them, kind of point to that, sort of, mm-hmm. I haven't changed, my sound is set in stone, Stand my, Stand Your Ground, the first track, about being who you are, not taking shit from anyone, and don't question yourself, mm-hmm. set in stone, Stapleton feel to it for sure, and they have they have similar sort of soulful, bluesy voices, uh, smoky voices as well, which I think fits well, he got a bunch of writers together including brent cobb who co-wrote several of the songs Mm -hmm. so it was a mix of making it today lyrically to a certain degree but keeping that sound and travis trade has stuck to it even when trends change he refused to change and it's come back around and i i really enjoyed the album i wasn't disappointed at all talk about some of the moments you enjoyed and then maybe some of the maybe some of the Parts where he thought he pooped his pants. <laughs> Let's see. We'll start with what I enjoyed. Um, there was a love song, Leave This World. Um, kind of a song about like not wanting to be without someone and wishing that you could, when you do leave this world, that you would leave it together. I thought that was a really beautiful sentiment. And you could tell the production on that song was top notch. Uh, there was also the last song I thought was really great. Way down in Georgia, it's kind of this gritty, almost like rocking song yeah. just about the state he's from and, and why he loves it so much, which we've heard a hundred times in country songs. But I thought this one really stood out as being a little different and had a really cool guitar part and just sounded really good. A little different than the rest of the record, not nearly as, as kind of that honky-tonk style that we hear elsewhere. So those were good. I mean, there were moments elsewhere that I thought were okay lyrically. I think what really stuck in my craw, if you will, about the uh, record as a whole was uh just this whole idea that things were somehow better back when this I assume he's talking about the nineties or eighties or whenever he was mm-hmm. coming up. Um there's a song Smoke in a Bar where he's just reminiscing about the idea of being able to smoke in a bar and how things were better well, back then and things were slower <laughs> and uh that just like totally blew my mind that someone would think that was somehow better. Uh, well, know. I think it it was it was examples. It was a Glory Days song, like Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. You know, recalling the past when you're younger and you're having fun and you have this carefree sort of existence. And one call out card to that is back then you could smoke in a bar. And as a smoker at the time, I'll tell you what. Smoking in a bar fucking ruled, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, for the smokers, yeah, that was good. Yeah, but you know, it's, yes, things change, but it doesn't mean that you can't look back fondly on things, even if things have, overall have changed for the better. 
you're still looking back on the times, you know, painting a picture of the moments. I didn't think he was saying, I think people should smoke in bars. Like, I don't, I don't think it was literally about smoking in bars. I think that was a no, example. Yeah, I agree. I felt like it was more about like, we should go back to how things used to be and that they were I, better I, <laughs> in I, general, well, not just about bars. Like, uh, I didn't, I got, I didn't get that vibe. I got it more as a reminiscing of the good old days. What about a song like, um, they don't make them like that no more, where he's talking about like cars and women mm-hmm. and not being as great nowadays as they used to be back in yeah that's like that's what that's, that's what we do as we as we get older like we complain about how twitter and all that stuff is ruining society and how kids these days da 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 da, da back what i used to walk to school eight miles in the snow like it's the same kind of thing where it you know you're re, you're thinking through reliving your youth and the stuff that you loved then and I don't know. I just thought it was nostalgia. I didn't. I didn't think it was a call to reverse any societal moves forward. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, uh... Because of some of the political environment we've experienced in the last few years, perhaps I maybe there are more people like yourself that might be sensitive to that, thinking that it is a call back to things were better before. Well, I mean, he's like he's from the South. He's from Georgia. Yeah. Exactly. Wally songs are about living in the South. So whenever someone from the South starts talking like that, it always makes me feel like, oh boy, what are, well, we, what are we getting at here? Oh, Southern Man, right? The song there. Yeah, yeah. He's proud of being from the South and of its traditions of music. It's musical mm-hmm. traditions. And he gets looked at funny and looked when people hear his Southern drawl, they make assumptions about him. And there is a stigma about the South being yeah. everyone's racist, and that's not true. You know, that's not everyone's anything isn't true anywhere. Totally, totally. And I, there's a stigma about it, especially from us Northerners. And I think it's a reaction to that. I'm a I'm a proud Southern man. It doesn't mean that he's in the Klan. It just means <laughs> he's proud of the musical tradition that he grew up with and the music that he makes. So, yeah, that's that's the way I took it. But I could see your side of it. I mean, I don't I don't disagree with you that people could view it in that way. And and for the most part, people who aren't in the super in the country aren't going to listen to this. So, you're an yeah, exception. No, I know. I know. I'm kind of the <laughs> outside welcome. of looking in on this, but <laughs> um well, I guess I I'd add maybe if you were a fan of that 90s style like that honky tonk would you say this is honky tonk? I could be totally mischaracterizing this. Yeah, know. there's definitely honky tonk elements, southern rock elements, uh, mm-hmm. country rock, and some soul, some soulful. He's got a very soulful voice. His voice yeah. in particular, yeah. And it sounds. I would say it sounds great. I mean, I, I know we talk about Mr. Cobb all the time, but I think he did. He does. You can tell mm-hmm. the quality of his production is evident. Were you familiar with Travis Tritt at all before this? Okay. Yeah, he was he was huge. He had uh, he had a mullet long past yes. the time, long past long, the time people were wearing mullets. That's an he has amazing hair. Like even in the the illustration on this album cover, he, I'm jealous of his locks. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, folks, Andy. I mean, Andy makes a good point. You know, I didn't really think too much about that. If you like this genre or are familiar with 
Travis Tritt or just like some kind of uh, up-tempo, fun country, I think you'll really dig this. If you like Chris Stapleton, I think you'll enjoy this. And I think uh, Travis Tritt's kind of a precursor to Chris Stapleton. And it's Mm -hmm. nice to hear him have a platform to uh, show that to the world again. So I loved it. I thought it was a great comeback. And uh, I hope you will, too. Go check out Travis Tritt's Set in Stone. All right. I think it's about that time we uh, talk about some old dogs. Going way back in our collection here. Back to the year 1987, actually. Old dogs. First up, we're going to talk about a, I would say, lesser-known band, Spaceman 3. Um, I think it's I think it's pronounced Spachemin. <laughs> Spachemin. That's a 30 Rock reference. A few people listening will get it. Okay. Continue. (laughs) I didn't get it, but it sounds cool. (laughs) Like, there's a couple of accents on there somewhere, maybe. But yeah, Spaceman 3 and their album, The Perfect Prescription. This came out in September of 1987. It's the second studio album for the Warwickshire, England duo of Peter Kember and Jason Pierce, better known as Sonic Boom and Jay Spaceman. It's a concept record about doing drugs. Let's just be upfront about that. Boo. Drugs are bad, okay? Yeah. We should just preface that. I don't endorse this type of heavy drug use, but it does make for some interesting music. It's very influential in defining what would become the shoegaze genre later in the 90s. We are going to play the snippet of the opening cut here. This is Take Me to the Other Side. Still taste of Take Me to the Other Side by Spaceman 3. Dude. Dude. Have you heard this band before? Were you aware Mm-mm. of what was going on with them back in the early 90s? Nope, not a clue. Do, have you heard of uh, Spiritualized? What would kind of become the evolution of this band? I think so, but this kind of thing was not my kind of thing. Right, right, gotcha. Yeah, we'll get to I your thought- thing in a few minutes there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I mean, this wasn't very popular. Like, I didn't hear about this until, I think, the early 2000s from a friend. They have a pretty interesting discography from this period. That's all very kind of spacey, psychedelic, infused with drug culture, but also very soulful, and I would say there's a real sense of... It's like that. You feel very close to the artist, the way it's recorded. And like I mentioned earlier, it is kind of a concept record. It uh, starts out there with Take Me to the Other Side, which is kind of just beckoning this trip experience um and it goes through kind of like i guess you would describe it as like a typical heavy drug experience that there's kind of like this rising up to this like ecstasy of the high and then there's a kind of like a crash and then at the end of the record there's a song called call the doctor maybe there's like an overdose or a bad trip happens so it's fairly i i guess realistic in that sense it's not just all the positive sides of drug use but it does i think it's meant to be used as almost like a companion for your 
experience or whatever you're, whatever you're going through. They pull pretty heavily from some things that were going on in like the 70s and early 80s, especially like Velvet Underground. If you're a fan of them, I think you would find something to like here. They actually, one of the tracks here, Ode to Street Hassle, clear homage to Lou Reed. Yeah, Vel- Velvet Underground is a good, a good mention there. I hadn't made that connection, but yeah, I hear that. And I'm not a huge fan of theirs either. I, I've tried to be. And I appreciate mm-hmm. their place in in music, but yeah, it's more noise than communication for me. Just like I've pictured people with the guitars uh, on the sitting in a guitar stand plugged in, and someone just whacking the strings. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's tons of distortion, huge reverb. It's kind of bad about creating that atmosphere, that kind of like spacey psychedelic vibe. And then they layer in some kind of like almost like spoken lyrics, um, mostly about just vague notions of ideas. Uh, there's not a lot to dig into lyrically on this record, I would say, other than just like feeling good and having a good time and just riding the wave, I guess. So the first three songs, it's, it's kind of interesting here. They're, the whole discography kind of just blurs the lines between songs. The songs here, Walking with Jesus and Ode to Street Hassle, they share a lot in common, uh, both in structure and lyrics. It's really hard to tell when one begins and one ends. And that's the same with a couple other songs on this record, too. They just kind of like blur together. So it really does feel like a cohesive album when you put it on, which I love. Uh, it's fairly lengthy. It comes in a little bit over an hour. Mm-hmm. A lot of gazing. A lot of gazing. There's a lot of gazing. Yeah, there's kind of the the apex of the record, I would say, is kind of the ecstasy symphony slash transparent radiation, which is about 15 minutes in the middle of the record. It's very atmospheric and in- instrumental passage. It's supposed to be kind of the high of the trip. And there's a big come down towards the end here. Actually, we're going to play one of those tracks that is part of the come down. This is uh, Come Down Easy. of these songs actually did have some kind of elements that were doorsy. Mm-hmm. That's what I was just going to say. Do you hear that? But it never comes back up. Like, the doors would do that as part of a song and then bring up the energy. Yeah, yeah right. This is mostly yeah. the the down the part. The down part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I kept waiting for it. I'm like, all right, When's that wave going to crest? And it just would like just stay there. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But the, the, the drug thing was lost on me. I didn't know that I was following someone's drug experience. That's the loose concept. It doesn't fit perfectly, to be all perfectly honest. Um, but I think it, it helps to kind of give the album some direction. But yeah, so that, that's probably the most rocking song on there, if you can believe that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a few moments where it could, things pick up a little bit, but for the most part, it's a pretty sedate, uh, chill out type record. It's excellent to put on kind of at the end of a night or if you're 
looking to have your own trip. Uh, it's pretty nice in a dark room and just a pair of headphones. I would highly recommend it. I think this record, and people refer to it all the time as being fairly influential uh, on their music. If you're familiar with a band like Yola Tango, I think this this would fit really nicely next to some of their discography from the 90s. Yeah, so what's your, what's your overall impression, man? Is this uh, positive, negative, or somewhere in between for you? It didn't, it didn't stink or anything. So, <laughs> but it, yeah, it, it just wasn't special sounding for, for my ears. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, maybe it'll be special for you. If you haven't yeah. heard this, I think it's uh, worth a listen, in my opinion. They put out quite a few records in this time period. I think it's probably the most cohesive representation of their sound. So if you want to curious to hear more, check out The Perfect Prescription by Spaceman 3. One more thing about it, Andy. It's a little tough to get your hands on. What do you recommend people do to, to find this album? Because it's not on the streaming uh, services. Yeah, that's a good point. There is a, a kind of a loose version of it available called Forge Prescriptions on Spotify. It's a little different. The track listing and the ordering stuff is a little different. It give you a taste of it, but you can find it on YouTube if you search yeah. for it. Um, it's also available for purchase from Bandcamp you know, for a few bucks if you want to get a good high-quality version. Good point. All right. Yeah, well, I'm here to surf. Um, so why don't we uh, continue in 1987 with something very different from what we just experienced. This is Prince from Sign of the Times. Man, I'm big on my uh, title tracks today. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so <laughs> and we're going to listen to Sign of the Times. Check it out. In France, a skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same At home there were 17 year old boys and their idea of fun Is being in a gang called the Disciples High on Crack Toting a machine gun Time Alright, so that's a little, uh Uplifting funky jam from Prince, Sign of the Times from 1987, where he goes into some details about the state of society and the ills happening, which is not very Prince-y up until this point. That's true. He was more glamorous, I guess, right? Yes. He feels a little more dirty. So Prince Rogers Nelson, born in 1958 and unfortunately died in 2016, Singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, actor, director, one of the greatest musicians of a generation. I don't think many people will argue that. Uh, 39 total albums. This was his ninth. And uh, some say his best. Now, there's a lot. He's he's made a lot of albums, Purple Rain included, which is a masterpiece. Andy, let's just get it. Let's just get it off right now. Is this his best album? Oh, that's a tough question, man. Um, yes. Falling <laughs> to my trap. I would probably put it top three for sure. I don't know, man. Uh-huh. I wasn't prepared for that question. I I don't know if it is. Maybe. It's really good. Well, I've been struggling with that myself because at the time, I wasn't super familiar with this album. I had kind of fallen off because I wanted Purple Rain, Purple Rain, Purple Rain 2, Purple Rain 3. and. The albums after Purple Rain, uh, Around the World in a Day, and oh, the next one after that with uh, Kiss on it. I forget the name of it off the top of my head. 
just didn't weren't doing it for me and i thought he was like he just wasn't doing the same thing and and there were some good songs on this one sign of the times i remember hearing on the radio and liking i liked uh you got the look that the mm-hmm. duet with sheena easton but this was like his last album that kind of sounded like 80s prince after this we got you know he he uh this is solo quote unquote right the revolution he fired them they broke up whatever you want to call it and then the new power generation came later and that's when it got more new jack swing hip hop and influenced right. sort of stuff that he was doing through the 90s mm-hmm. so this was kind of the last what i can you know classic prince sort of album until some of the most recent stuff he released which kind of harkened back to this sound yeah that's fair I love it now. I mean, once the streaming services started having Prince's albums, I got a chance to really listen to this for the first time. So for the last few years, I've been really digging this thing. It's pretty convoluted history. So he, there was going to be a triple album called Crystal Ball. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear that. That in, it included all of this stuff and a bunch of other stuff. Record company said no. Originally, there was something called Dream Factory that Prince and the Revolution were working on. So some of those songs were going to feed the crystal ball thing, and some of those songs, I think, made it here. And then there was another project called Camille. Right. About his girlfriend at the time? Not exactly. Yeah, dude. I don't know about you, but I had no idea that the pitched-up vocals were Prince being Camille, or that there was an album designed to be released as Camille. You wear that before this? Who's that? <laughs> that's that's dude S. Um, <laughs> that's uh, very creepy. <laughs> it's like it's like eight year old dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Camille was gonna be. It was a character. It was a, a female character that Prince cooked up. Oh, she's not a real person? Oh, I didn't know that. He would pitch up his voice. Yeah. Like I did. <laughs> Just there. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a whole album that they did test pressings and everything that was going to be released as Camille. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the artist was going to be Camille. Yes. On the record. Oh, that's But it's him. So, okay. on this album, <laughs> some of the songs feature Camille. Yes. Housequake was the first one where we hear Camille. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. So this is like his little persona, like his feminine persona. Yes. Only Prince could do this. I know. It's it's (laughs) weird, right? (laughs) I don't know how it would have played off. And I think the record company in 1987 probably made the right decision. Because like I'm, you know, uh, so Housequake is the third track. Mm -hmm. Not to skip over Play the Sunshine, which is a, a really great track too but housequake is very dancey house party kind of has some george clinton funkadelic uh -hmm. parliament sort of which prince always hearkened to a little bit but that kind of cartoony voice i just chalked up as parliament had a lot of that going on pitched up voices characters and yeah yeah so i didn't really ever equate it with a person called camille but yeah that's the story there that's crazy. I didn't think that was Prince. I thought it was someone else in the band just doing that vocal part. 
<laughs> well, even on uh, the hit and run and, and those new those newer albums, there are some yeah. moments with that pitched up voice on there too. And I was like, oh, I haven't heard the pitched up voice in a while. Maybe it was Camille making a comeback. I don't know. Camille's back. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's there's still so many moments in here where it's just like, God, this is so Prince, man. Like no one else could ever do the, create the sound or have these ideas and pull it off. I guess it's kind of like what made him special, but he could really do these kind of bizarre things and make it work. Yeah. I mean, how do you get away with using a drum machine and mineral, like sign of the times has very little instrumentation. It's got a drum machine, yeah. Prince doing it, Prince doing na, 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 thing and yeah. a little guitar and a little bass, but there's a quite a few songs on here that are pretty minimal musically. Yeah. I just rely really? on his vocals uh, to carry them off. And fortunately he's a fantastic vocalist and, as you were saying, he has so many different sides to his vocals. Like he can go from being very sensual to being a little bit more aggressive, being like a kind of like a rock voice, and do that falsetto where he's like, does sound like a different person almost. And it's cool. So this, this is almost like a kind of like a cornucopia of the different sides of Prince, I guess, kind of all mushed together over mm-hmm. 80 minutes or so. So in that, in that perspective, it's a, it's a cool way to kind of. If you're new to him, especially, this will give you a, you can like really pick apart the different, the different sides of, of his character. It is broad. It does have some really nice moments, uh, slow jam sort of well, a song called Slow Love, mm-hmm. where yeah, you know, saxophone, it's got saxophone. It's very sort of 87 sexy slow jam sort of love making sort of music mm-hmm. and done incredibly well. Like one of my favorites on the album, even though it's one of the most straightforward uh, sonically, it's uh, awesome. And then, you know, You Got the Look, people know that song with Sheena Easton and Camille doing a duet. (laughs) So, (laughs) If I Was Your Girlfriend, that's that's another Camille situation. That song, that song sticks out to me quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, because of the Camille situation, the voice that he's doing, and then just how explicit he is. I mean, he's always, sexuality with him always seems so straightforward. Like, he's just going to lay it out there. This is what exactly what I'm going to do to you. This is, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. <laughs> just to go into it in full detail here. That's cool. That's cool. It's a great song. Again, only Prince could, could pull out yeah. a song like that. I mean, because it's basically, it's about his girlfriend but she's got a close female friend that she confides in and you know he's prince so he's probably uh got some other action going on as well and he's you know maybe this thing is on the brink and it's like well if i was your girlfriend and we shared everything we shared secrets together and all this stuff and if you like it's it's weirdly it's weirdly framed the if i was your girlfriend thing but if you take the elements of it being your best friend being trustworthy, you can tell me anything, lovers and friends. It's really describing what is a great relationship, but it's done in a way that sounds kind of manipulative. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. There's quite a few songs like that. Actually, um, I could never take the place of your man. Uh, a couple songs uh-huh. later, another song about like uh, trying to get into another relationship or love situation and maybe not it's not really a good fit but he's 
trying to be upfront about what he actually wants in the relationship and just really well, really well written. And, uh, the vocal performances are just stellar. Yeah. He's just like constantly creating, man. It was like his natural state was just to be making things no matter whether it was planned or not. It just, it all comes together here. Well, speaking of coming together, this is another oddity, especially like sonically and lyrically. So let's, let's listen to a little bit of starfish and coffee. And, uh, I guarantee it's going to be stuck in your head for days after you hear this clip. All right. So, uh, starfish and coffee, maple syrup and jam. Little backstory to this, right, Andy? <laughs> yeah, I had to look up this one because I was like, what the f- is he talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Go ahead. I mean, you, you, you no, you you, you tell it, man. I'm giving you. You should do some talking here. Uh, I guess supposedly the story is that it's about a childhood friend that they used to ride the bus with and took grammar school classes together, and she was just kind of maybe a little eccentric. You'd say like, "Hey, what'd you have for breakfast?" And she would just kind of go through this list of like some of them being food and some of them being random objects that didn't seem to have anything to do with breakfast. Um, so this is kind of capturing her. Her spirit, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I read something similar. I read that it was based on a story that Prince's fiance at the time told him about a girl she knew in grade school that would t- tell these colorful okay. tales. Yeah. But uh, apparently the the breakfast consisted of starfish and pee-pee. In the, in the tale that she told to Prince, Prince changed it instead of it being urine, <laughs> changed it to coffee <laughs> and gave and gave her a, a songwriting credit. Melvoin is... Uh, Fiance at oh. the time. Oh, that's cool. Super catchy group, though. And you're right that I was, it's been in my head all week after listening to this. Yeah. I mean, every time I take a sip of coffee, I'm like, starfish and coffee. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a standout for sure. One thing I do recommend y'all checking out is Sign of the Times, the movie. Oh, I didn't even know there was a movie. It's a lot of live performances of these songs i think uh there's a couple bits of stuff from purple rain but it's mostly just this album interspersed with video clips like for uh, you got the look videos played there's some loose story with a couple of actors that come often on the stage exchanging lines and stuff so that's okay. kind of cool you should check that out too yeah i think i will this this is definitely my era of prince so as much of it as I can. Um, let's talk about a little bit, maybe that after that kind of live sound um, towards the end of the record. It's going to be mm-hmm. a beautiful night, which is like a, I assume it's a live recording of, it sounds like it's the full band, even the revolution. I I think around that track. Is that right, man? Yes. Yeah. Apparently uh, a show at Le Zenith in Paris in the summer of 86. Okay. Prince took, took the recording overdubbed some horns and then Sheila E., did some That's rapping right. on it, and she was. If you watch the the movie, she's the drummer for that band. Well, I understand that. I'll just quickly mention, if you don't mind, uh, the last song, "Adore." Yep, I was going to bring that up too. Might be my favorite on the record. Actually, it's like this beautiful 
love song. Again, Prince is very clear about his romantic feelings and intentions, but he really gets that falsetto going in uh, in high gear on that track there. And I think it works awesome. Uh, it's, it's a great closer. And maybe, like I said, maybe even the, my favorite track on the record. At six and a half minutes long, apparently it was never released as a single, but it did receive a lot of urban radio airplay at the time. Okay. Because it, uh, the, I, you may not remember this, but there was a kind of a subgenre called Quiet Storm. It was like adult yes. contemporary R and B, and I guess that got a lot of play um, in in that that space of radio, which makes sense because yeah. it is sultry as hell. Yeah, it's a, a pillow talk kind of thing going on. It's great. Yeah, the whole thing was great, and I'm so glad that we. I wanted to talk about a Prince album on here forever. Of course, I wanted to talk about Purple Rain, but that's a that's cheating because everybody, everybody knows that album. It's been talked to death. And when I really dug into this thing, I realized how special it is, and it wouldn't have been possible without the help of Camille, the record label shooting down the the Crystal Ball triple album, the the breakdown of the Revolution. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of uh, like the bridge between Prince of the Eighties and the Prince Coming of the Nineties, and it's a great album. I, I didn't. There's not a moment on it I don't enjoy. So if you haven't heard it, it's worth every minute of Sign of the Times by Prince. You'll love it. I guarantee it. <laughs> Dude, guarantee there. Sign of the Times. Good, good pick, though, man. I, I, it was great to listen to it closely for a while, and I did come to love it as well. Um, that's going to do it for our show today, everybody. Thanks for uh, sticking with us through these four records. What do you think of them? We'd love to hear your opinions. Podcastalbners.com or leave a voicemail, 585-210-2454. Uh, let us know what you've been listening to as well. I'm always curious to hear what's good out in the world that's right and subscribe to and download the show in all the usual places spotify apple podcasts etc but if you are an apple podcast user please leave us a five-star review write up something sweet and clever about us if you wouldn't mind we'd really appreciate it helps us get the word out also don't forget on spotify we have the playlists available of all the tracks we talked about today uh this is episode 126 so check those out and uh if you want to help us out, because we do have some costs on this show, independent podcast, hit us up, albumnerds.com slash support for a PayPal donation if you're so inclined. Word up. I'll be back in two weeks' time with another set of album recommendations for you. Until then, uh, happy listening and uh, take it easy. Enjoy that starfish and coffee. Have a great week. See you.